All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you here. So many of you are back from vacation and traveling all over Fourth of July. We had a good weekend this last weekend with the fireworks and all. Nobody had any good weekend. All right. Fantastic. Well, we did. I did. I, I'm sad, sad you guys didn't have a good time. But it was. Let me come real quick before I jump into the scriptures here. Like Dan mentioned, the reason why the sanctuary looks like this is that tomorrow morning uh, we have a bunch of kids here for kids camp. There are already over 70 kids that are signed up for kids camp starting tomorrow morning, goes through all week. And so, parents, if you haven't already got your kids signed up, you can still do that today. Registration starts tomorrow morning at 930 and I believe it goes from 10 to 3.30 um, each day, Monday through Friday. So it's going to be a fantastic week around here. So that's why the sanctuary is already set up for that, as well as some of the rest of the property. One other thing, man, if you would write this date down, July 21st. So that's not this Saturday, but next Saturday. Ladies, you might have to let help your men remember this, but July 21st, we're having a men's breakfast. We haven't done this for a while, and so the guys have been kind of tugging and say, we need to eat again. Um, and so uh, that's what we're going to do. We'll have a big breakfast and just kind of hang out and connect with each other. Ladies, you all know that men only connect around food, right? Uh, food or sports, and so we'll do food right now since there's not much sports going on. Um, any soccer fans out there? Any? Any? Oh, okay, we do have a few. Okay. Fantastic. So that's July 21st, man. Put that down on your calendar, 9 o'clock right here um, at the church, and we're going to do breakfast for you. It'll be a, just a good time. It'll only be a, about an hour and a half, and so you'll be able to get on to your Saturday chores. All right, get your Bibles out, if you would, please. Um, we started a series uh, a couple weeks ago that we're calling I Will Survive, and what the series is all about is how to survive a bad day. We've all had them, right? Maybe you had a couple this week. Um, uh, I want to read to you a couple actual statements from uh, some insurance forms where a car driver attempted to summarize the details of an accident in the fewest of words. Here's one of them. Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I don't have. <laughs> any of you done that before? <clears throat> you don't have to raise your hand for any of these. If Maybe you wrote this. Here's another one. The other car collided with mine without giving warning of its intention. <laughs> That's what I always say, right? Here's another one. I thought my window was down, but I found out it was up when I put my head through it. <laughs> Here's another one. A truck backed through my windshield into my wife's face. <laughs> oh, I got an ooh on that one. <laughs> Here's another one. A pedestrian hit me and went under my car. <laughs> Here's another one. I attempted to kill a fly, and I drove into a telephone pole. Any of you? Come on. Any of you? And here's one more. Here's one more. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. <laughs> I just think that one's funny. <laughs> it's fun to laugh, right? Um, but when those things happen to us, when those bad days happen in our life, laughter is the last thing that tends to come to us, right? And unfortunately, a bad day can last into a bad week and into a bad month and even into a bad year. 
And so how do we survive these bad days that tend to come into our lives? That's what we're talking about here in this series. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I like how the message paraphrases this passage. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside of God. So folks, when you think about it, Jesus went through the worst day ever. And so the writer of Hebrews is talking about that we need to stop and actually study how he did this. How did he survive this, wor- this, this worst day ever? Because there's so much that we can learn from it. And one of the things that we see from Jesus is that just as soon as the cross came crushing down into the ground, he said these words. Luke 23, verse 34. Why don't you say this, these words here with me? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now think about that. Think about what Jesus was doing here. Because Jesus experienced the most horrific 12 hours ever. And the first thing that Jesus experienced was betrayal. Betrayal. I mean, think about that. One of Jesus' closest friends betrayed him. Judas betrayed him and turned him into authorities for 30 pieces of silver. And the reality is that some of you have experienced things like that. People who are close to you, someone maybe you deeply loved has betrayed you. Someone who is really close to you, someone that you deeply loved, turned their back on you and let you down. Betrayal. It's something that we experience and something what Jesus experienced. The second thing that Jesus experienced was false accusations. False accusations, and, and of all these five things that Jesus experienced, for me, this is the one that I think I personally hate the most, because I don't know about you, I don't mind being accused of something that I've actually done, but to be falsely accused for something that I haven't done, that's the one that tends to go deeply into my heart and makes it hard then for me to forgive, and that's why for me, I don't know how it is for you, But for me, that's why I have to be active and proactive, and I have to work hard at regularly forgiving the people in my life, because false accusations can really wound us deeply. 26 years ago, I experienced something that I've actually never shared in public before until this morning, so you guys get to be the first one to hear um, this story, and I can only now share it because of some things that's happened in the last month. Um, But 26 years ago, actually it was 27 years ago after I graduated from college, I um, went to Germany as an associate pastor of a German church right outside of Nuremberg. And I was there for two years. I lived with the pastor and his family there in Germany. I have an international business degree in German, so I speak the language. And um, this was right during the time where uh, so much was happening over in Europe. The wall had just come down, and there was such a spiritual hunger that people had because you could just see it before your eyes. Things were changing dramatically, and I, I don't have time to tell you all the intricacies of the story, but I started going from Germany into Poland 
um, because Poland was really, a lot of things were happening in Poland. I began to take teams back and forth from Germany into Poland, doing these outreaches, and through all of that, um, planted three different churches um, as a result of these outreaches and what God was doing over there. And the more time I was spending in Poland, um, I began to question, should I be living in Poland and not in Germany? And so I spent a lot of time talking with my spiritual authorities and praying about it, and finally concluded concluded that I felt like this is what the Lord was leading, that I needed to move from Germany into Poland. So I started the transition of moving to Poland. And this German family, this pastor and his wife, started helping me in, in um, purchasing things for an apartment. I got a job um, working in the university teaching English. I had an apartment over there. But right before I was getting ready to move, um, one of my spiritual authorities, a pastor friend of mine, contacted me. And you got to remember, this is 26 years ago. And so no internet, no email, no cell phones. So connection was a little bit harder, internationally speaking. But he contacted me on Monday and said, I feel like before you move, you need to come back to the United States and just make sure that your connections are secure. You have people praying for you, people that are part of this journey with you, because you're going to be going there all alone. And it just kind of resonated in my heart. It happened really quickly. And so on Thursday, I flew back to the United States, and I was planning on being here for six weeks. And I was itinerating throughout um, different parts of the United States, making my connections and just making sure the people that were involved in my life knew what was going on. But the second week that I was in the United States, I had gone with a, a pastor and his wife, a friend of mine, that they were going to minister in Omaha, Nebraska at a church. And so we'd gone to their house, the pastor and his wife's house, had dinner, and after dinner they decided, let's, let's pray together, let's worship together, because we had a lot of things going on that, that week um, in terms of ministry, and so we had a time of prayer and worship together, just the five of us in, in their home, and then after... When they finished praying and doing this, the, the pastor and his wife that I had um, driven to Omaha, Nebraska with said, we have some, some news that we need to give to you. And they handed me a piece of paper. And it was a fax from the pastor in Germany. And on this fax was this description of, we, we met with one of the leaders in Poland. I had a leadership team of seven people that I was working with, one lady who was, pri who was the primary in, um, translator um, for me in that. And that, so the pastor said that we, me and my wife, we met with her and we've concluded that you're evil and cannot be trusted. And not only that, you're no longer welcome in Poland or in Germany. And so if you don't come and get your stuff by such and such a date, we're going to throw out all your personal belongings on the curb, and they will be thrown away. That was the facts that I received as a 24-year-old in Omaha, Nebraska. I feel like God put me in the right place at the right time with the right people that took the blunt of that spear that was thrown at me and softened the impact of it. Because I think looking back as a 24-year-old guy, single guy, that that probably could have had the, the, the impact of really derailing me and, and probably pushing me even out of ministry. Here was the thing. I had no way of knowing why. I had no idea why the accusations were made. I have, they didn't describe what I had done. It was just, you're evil, and you cannot be trusted, and you're no longer welcome here. That's what I was left with from that fax. I had a, another pastor friend of mine told me in that process, he said, here's the thing you need to understand. Integrity needs no defense. And let me just speak that to you. If you've had experienced false accusation, integrity needs no defense. And I felt like the Holy Spirit actually spoke something to me in that moment 
and said, do not say anything about these people in private or public. And so for 26 years, I have not. There's only a handful of people that actually know this, this story um, because I really felt guarded by the Holy Spirit not to even share it. But the reason why I can share it today is because something's changed. Over these 26 years, I've had this question of what is this and what's the accusation and how can I reconcile with this? And I've actually tried to connect with the pastor's wife in, in Germany um, to no avail. Actually, as a matter of fact, um, when I came on staff at the at church, just, I got really quickly reconnected a different path, and after my six weeks of itinerary, I was hired on um, on a church in Colorado Springs, a mega church in Colorado Springs. But just a few months later, the pastor's wife showed up at that church, the German pastor's wife showed up at that church to have a meeting with my pastor there in Colorado Springs to try to convince him how evil and untrustworthy I was. That's how far it went. My, I, I met with my pastor afterwards. He just kind of dismissed it, didn't really understand it, and found no credit to it. But I still didn't have any answers to the whys and what is, and how do I, how do I come back? What, what do you do with these false accusations here? And to make matters worse, um, I completely lost all contact with all my leadership team in Poland. Again, no emails, no cell phones. There was no way of connection over there. So for 26 years, I've had zero contact with any of the leadership team that I had over in Poland or the church that we planted over there in Poland. Well, this past fall, a guy by the name of Marek, who's one of the seven guys that was on my leadership team, found me on Facebook. And we started having this conversation again. Again, it was 26 years since I've had any contact with anybody over in Poland. And so now all of a sudden, Mark's um, talking with me on Facebook, and it was, just, it was such a shock to my system of, I can't believe after 26 years there, there's a connection that was formed there, and very soon found out that he was pastoring the church that we had started 27 years ago. That through all of this, he'd now become the pastor of this church. And so he invited us to come over. And so that's why we went to Poland just a few weeks ago. We were there for two weeks. And, and it was a fantastic time. We were there for a couple of weeks. And Courtney and I met um, Mark and his wife and his kids. And it was like there hadn't been any time difference in, in 26 years. But the first thing, the first day when I met him, I had a question for him. <laughs> it was a question that I've had for 26 years. What happened? And, I, and, and so I, I asked him, what did he know? And he knew nothing. He, didn't, he knew nothing. And so this lady had not shared with the, the leadership team anything. All that he knew was I was coming one day, and all of a sudden I was not coming. And he, knew no, he had no idea why I didn't come back. And, uh, and so he, we had a lot of conversations about that, and he filled in some gaps here, here for me. But at the end of the day, um, even though the, the answers to the false accusations weren't connected, the dots weren't connected, God did something else. It was just a pure gift for me after 26 years. And I, I was telling some people that it's, it's, it feels like one of those gifts that you're completely undeserving of. You know what I'm talking about? It, there, there was no reason for it, but yet you got it anyway, you know, that type of gift. That's what it felt like to me. God didn't need to do this, but he did it anyway. And because what happened, I had completely forgotten that I had baptized Mark on June 27, 1992. And it was part of his significant spiritual transformation that happened in his life 26 years ago. And those seeds that were planted continued to grow up in spite of my distance for 26 years. And there's, this church exists. And he's now, this Mark 
who was just a little new, new infant in the Lord 26 years ago, is now the pastor and doing a fantastic job, an amazing pastor. And so God connected something for me that he didn't really need to. And it's just a pure gift of, of seeing that connection happen. And what it did for me is it undid the mystery and, and so the surprise and the shock of those false accusations. I share that because false accusations, and this one lasted for me for 26 years. And the reality is, there's no reconciliation with the three parties that were involved, but my heart has changed throughout these 26 years. False accusations are one of those things that can really cause a bad day or bad month or bad years in your life. And it's one of the things that Jesus experienced. Here's the third thing that Jesus experienced, and that was rejection. Rejection. Because no one came to Jesus' defense. Think about that. Not even Peter, James, and John, those three that were closest to him. No one came to Jesus' defense. And some of you are here today, and you really feel rejected. You've been having things being said about you. You've been bullied by people through Facebook or in your work situation, your classroom, or by your peers and it's caused this devastation inside of this growing, this desperation, and even this depression inside of you. And some of you have maybe even been thinking about ending your life because of these negative things that people have said about you. But please listen to me here today. Because I want to be a little pastor here for you because you need to stop listening to what people are saying about you. And you've got to start listening to what God says about you you got to let his word be stronger and higher than every other word that wants to penetrate your own heart. Because I tell you, God wants to heal you of those wounds that even other people have spoken in your heart, those wounds of rejection. And the fourth thing that Jesus experienced was abuse. Abuse. And if ever there was anyone who was abused, it was Jesus. I mean, horrible, physical, mental, emotional abuse, continually mocked, continually tormented, mentally, emotionally, and physically. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 52 says this about Jesus in verse 14, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human, and from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. That's how much Jesus was abused. And then the fifth thing that Jesus experienced was humiliation. Humiliation. Because not only was Jesus abused beyond recognition, but he hung totally naked on that cross. Hollywood doesn't depict this aspect of it, but this is exactly how the Roman Empire would do it. Because not only did they want you to feel the pain, but they also wanted you to feel the humiliation. See, folks, this is what Jesus went through. This has to be the worst day ever. And as a result, in Hebrews chapter 2, it says this, verse 17, that's why he, that is Jesus, had to enter into every detail of human life. Then when he came before God as high priest to get rid of people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself, all the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where help was needed. Listen, folks, Jesus understands. Jesus understands exactly what you're going through, which means there's not a bad day that you have ever had, and there's not a bad day that you will ever have that Jesus doesn't understand. Whatever betrayal that you go through, whatever false accusations you encounter, whatever rejection you experience, whatever abuse that is put on you, whatever humiliation that you endure, Jesus is there to help you when you go through that bad day. 
And the first thing that Jesus did when he was going through that worst day ever was to forgive those around him. Again, Luke 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And you know what, folks? It's the same for you and me. The first thing that you and I, we need to do when you're going through something difficult is you need to release, let go of the hurt and the pain that's being caused by the people who are around you. Write it down this way in your notes. Forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. Just go ahead and forgive everyone in your life who's trying to ruin it. Because doesn't it feel like there's people out there who just kind of have that maybe spiritual gifting to ruin your life? <laughs> they just have that knack to get underneath your skin. You know, there's people that just don't like you and maybe you don't like as well. And this is why Jesus saw this as such a huge issue that he put it in this prayer that we are to pray daily. We declared it here this morning, Matthew 6, verse 9 through 12. Then this is how you should pray. Say it with me again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. See, Jesus, you better get used to this. You better get used to this. There's going to be people constantly in your life who are going to try to ruin your life. And so that's why you have to make it a daily habit to forgive those people in your life, to release them, to let go, to no longer hold those things against them, to get your heart free. And not only that, but Jesus describes the closer and closer we get to his return, this is just going to get harder and harder and harder. Matthew 24, verse 10, Jesus is describing in this chapter the signs of the end coming closer and closer. And this is one of them. He says, and then many will be offended will betray one another, and will hate one another. That's the downward spiral that's happening in our world today that's getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and it will affect you. Because in Luke chapter 17, Jesus said in verse 1, it's impossible that no offenses should come. And so even if you're trying to live your life in such a way that these things don't happen to you, you can't. <laughs> you can't. Why? Because there are constantly going to be people out there that will say things and do things that will penetrate your heart, that will create excruciating pain and hurt inside of you. That's the way that it is. And so that's why Jesus said, you got to make it a habit, folks. you got to make this a habit to forgive and release those people around you. The unfortunate part in all of this, I think... The unfortunate part of holding on to these hurts, the unfortunate part of holding on to these pains, the unfortunate part of holding on to unforgiveness is that it doesn't hurt the other person. <laughs> unforgiveness doesn't hurt the, un the other person. It only hurts me. It hurts you, and it will destroy your life. It's like we think that if we withhold forgiveness, then some way, somehow, we're punishing the other person. But that's like drinking poison and thinking that when I drink poison, I'm hoping that it's going to actually hurt the other person. It doesn't make sense. You're the one who's been inflicted with that. You're the one who's been shot by those words and by those actions. And now you have to get rid of that hurt. You've got to get rid of that the thing that's festering inside of you. And that's what Proverbs 18 verse 19 says. It says, an offended brother 
is more unyielding than a fortified city, and disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. I think this is a great picture of what happens when we hold on to unforgiveness. Because when you hold on to unforgiveness, what you're doing is that you're putting up these walls to protect your heart. But what you end up doing is that you wall yourself away from other people, and you even wall yourself away from God. And your heart becomes callous. It starts becoming hard. In 1641, there's a guy by the name of Oliver Cromwell and his political party that wanted to overthrow the British monarchy. At that time, King Charles I was in power, and ultimately they were successful to overthrow the royalist party. And what they did is they tried King Charles I for his mistreatment of the British people. And 59 people signed a document um, for this king's execution, and ultimately he was executed. They were able to stay in power for 11 years. And then the royalist party came back in and overthrew him, and they put in King Charles I's son, who was also named Charles. So he became King Charles II. And the first thing that King Charles II did was to go out and find those 59 men who had issued that document declaring the execution of his father. The problem was 15 of those 59 men had already died. But that didn't stop King Charles II. He went and had those 15 men's bodies exhumed, and he brought them into the courtroom and put them on trial. Can you imagine? 44 men sitting in their chairs on trial, and there are 15 skeletons sitting in their chairs on trial. What do you have to say about yourself? Okay, then you, you must be guilty. But not only were they exhumed, and not only were these skeletons tried, but then these 15 skeletons were actually hung for all to see. I mean, talk about digging up the past. <laughs> I mean, I think this is a, it's a radical example of what can happen when you don't deal with the junk that other people put in your heart. And so if Jesus were to teach you anything about how to survive a bad day, the first thing that he would teach you is to make a decision to forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life, to just let it go. As a matter of fact, if you don't let it go, Hebrews 12 verse 15 says that it'll become like a bitter root inside of you that will end up defiling many. In other words, it will grow and fester inside of you and it'll become gangrene and will ultimately destroy your life. But one of the reasons why I think so many of us tend to hold on to these things in our heart and choose to not to forgive is because we really don't understand what forgiveness is. I think we just get this all mixed up because forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not minimizing the, the, the seriousness of the offense. God's not asking you to say, oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. Oh, well, it's, it's really not that bad. No, it, it is that bad. It's a huge, oh, it really didn't hurt. Yes, it did. It hurt. That's the reality. And so forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. Also, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. And so many people get this one confused. It's this idea that for forgiveness to work, that, that you, have to have the, you have to have this connection with this other person. And, but what we have to understand is that there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation 
requires two parties coming together. Reconciliation is about two parties working to change and, and working out that, that relationship. That's what reconciliation, it takes two people. But forgiveness only takes you. It has nothing to do with the other person. And that's why forgiveness is something that's just about you. I always say it this way. If you were to walk outside of this building and get shot, the person who shot you is responsible for the wound that they inflicted in you. But now that that bullet is inside of you, you are 100% responsible to get to the hospital and to get healed and to go through any rehab that you need to go through. That shooter is not responsible for that. You may want to put that on, but the reality is you're the one who has to go do it you got to take care of yourself. you got to get yourself healed. And that's the same thing with what, what forgiveness is. Forgiveness, i got to deal with what's been put inside of me. No, I didn't, I didn't want that. I didn't do that. I'm not responsible for that happening to me. But now I'm responsible to get me healed. And God has given you the gift of forgiveness to get your heart free. Forgiveness is also not about doing what's fair. <laughs> forgiveness is not about doing what's Fair. So many times people say, well, it's not fair. They did this to me. It's not fair that I have to be the one who forgives them. <laughs> Let's not go there, folks. Because you don't want to use that fair card. Because it's not fair that Jesus paid a price to die on the cross in excruciating pain for what you did. That's not fair. We can't use that, that fair crowd. That's why I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. That's what it means. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so forgiveness is not doing what's fair. Forgiveness is also not impossible to do. It's not impossible for you because some of you have been, been listening to the counsel of the devil and he's been telling you that you can't do this. That what was done to you is so great that you cannot forgive this. But listen, folks, that's not true. As a matter of fact, Philippians 4 verse 13 says, I can do what? Does it say some things? Does it say a few things? No, what does it say? I can do what? I can do everything through him who gives me strength, which means the closer you get to God, the more capacities and more abilities and more strength that he gives you that you didn't have before, even the strength to forgive the most atrocious things that have ever happened to you. That's why it's not impossible. And the example that Jesus gave us when you encounter a bad day then is number one, pray for those who have hurt you. Actually, pray for those who have hurt you. And I'm not talking about praying curses on them. <laughs> I'm not talking about praying boils on their skin and their skin falls off, all right? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 43, you have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so that means that we pray for them, we forgive them, and we ask God to work in their life. And here's the reality of all of this. The person you, that hurts you may never respond to those, those prayers. That person that hurts you may never respond to the working of God that God wants to work in their life. That person may never change their behavior, but I guarantee it will change you. Because here's the thing. You can't, you can't pray for somebody and continue to, you can't hate someone and continue to pray for them. Because prayer will change you. 
And then Jesus took it even to another notch. And he said, number two, bless those who have hurt you. So not only pray for them, but actually bless those who have hurt you. That word bless means to speak well of. It literally means I won't let a curse come out of my mouth towards that person. I won't speak anything negative towards that person either privately or publicly. Jesus said it this way in Luke 6, verse 27. He says, but I tell you, you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And the Apostle Paul, he, he said it this way, Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. But Jesus doesn't stop there either. He takes it up another notch. And he says, number three, do good to those who have hurt you. Actually, do good to those who have hurt you. In other words, not only am I to pray for them, not only am I to bless them, but I'm also to look for ways to do something good on their behalf. In Romans chapter 12, verse 17, it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Some of you think that's exactly what I want to happen. <laughs> you know, burn, baby, burn. <laughs> that's what I want to happen here. But listen, that's not what the scripture is actually talking about. We actually don't have a phrase like this in our, in our modern culture today because we just don't have this need. But in their culture, their culture that was without stoves and fire that was readily available, the greatest commodity that you could have was burning coals. And so if your neighbor's fire went out, then they weren't going to be able to cook or to clean. But if you, their neighbor, brought over these burning coals, then they again could clean and cook because they would then have a fire. And so heaping burning coals on somebody was giving that person something that you had that they didn't have. It's doing good for that one who has hurt you. And then I love this last verse, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by the evil that that person spoke over you. Don't be overcome by the evil that that person did to you. Don't be overcome by that betrayal that was done to you. Don't be overcome by that rejection that has been done to you. Do not be overcome by those false accusations that has been spoken over you. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Overcome evil with good. Listen, folks, this is why forgiveness is an absolute must. One of the very first things to surviving a bad day. It needs to be daily, proactive, something that we engage in to get your heart free. I want you to just close your eyes, please. Because I don't want you to be thinking about anybody else, but just what's happening in your own heart right now in this, in this moment. Because maybe as we've talked here this morning, maybe there have been people who have been flashing before your mind, people who have said things or have done things that have caused hurt and pain in your life, people who have betrayed you, people who have rejected you, people who have spoken false accusations about you, people who have abused you, people that, who have humiliated you. 
Well, may I suggest something here for you? That that's actually the Holy Spirit bringing that back to your remembrance, bringing those back up to the surface. Because the reality is those things are festering inside of you and they're affecting you. They affect you mentally, they affect you emotionally, they affect you spiritually, and they even affect you physically. And the reason why the Holy Spirit brings these back up to our surface is because he wants to bring complete healing into your life. I mean, always remember this, that what God reveals, he then heals. He wants to bring healing to what it is that he reveals and exposes inside of your heart. God's, Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 8, freely you have received, now freely give. See, God has forgiven you. He's al already forgiven you. Which means you'll never have to forgive someone more than God has forgiven you. That's why the forgiven forgive. Because we have the power of God working in our own lives. You have the power of God working in your life. Forgiveness is God's gift to you to get you free from the hurt and the pain others have caused you. It may have been something that's happened just a day ago. It may have happened this morning on your way over here. Or it may have been something that happened last week or it may have been something that happened 26 years ago. But would you right there where you are, would you make a decision to forgive, to release, to let go of, to no longer hold these things against that person who caused that pain or hurt in your life. To let go of the judgments that you've held against that person and to release that person into the hands of God. To let God be the judge in that other person's life. Father, I pray for every one of us here in this room that, God, we wouldn't put on a religious hat that says, oh, I've already forgiven when there's still pain and hurt in our heart. Father, I pray that in this moment we would even be honest with what's being exposed because you want to heal that. You want to set us free from the things that people have done and the things that people have spoken into our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would give strength to those who feel helpless God, that you would give them strength and courage to release and to let go of these people and these situations that have created devastation and hurt and pain, rejection and abuse, humiliation and betrayal, that, God, you would give every one of us strength to be able to release that and to release these people into your hands so that you then can be judged, that you can step in and not only work in that other person's life, but actually then create healing in our own heart. When you came in here this morning, there should have been a three-by-five card that was on your chair. If you would, I want you to just pick it up, if you would, please. Just put it in your hand. Your little index card there. Just put it in your hand. Then I want to ask you to do an action point. Not just to hear not just to pray about this, but actually to do something and as an action point 
Would you take a pen that's in front of you and, and write down these names that maybe God's been bringing to the surface? Those situations, just begin to write them down. Maybe you, you'd write down and just say, I choose to forgive Mike. I release him and I let him go and I release him into the hands of God. Maybe write something like that and, and then go through the people. Maybe there's one, maybe, maybe there's 10 people that you need to do that as well. The worship team is just going to kind of sing over you and minister over you. And, and when you feel like you're done and you feel like you've put those in a practical way, those people on this piece of paper, then all I ask you to do is an, another action point. If you would, just when you are ready, just come forward and right down in front of me, you can't see where you're sitting, but there is a fire pit right here. And then symbolically, just crumple it up and putting it, put it this in the fire pit as a like a symbol of releasing and letting go of the hurt and the pain that these people have caused you. And then once you've released it on either side, you can, so you can go both directions. On this, on either side are these water basins. And as a second symbol, after you have released this, then just take your hands and just rinse them off as a symbol of release, a symbol of letting it go. And then let these guys dry your hands off and then go and take communion with your heart open as God has forgiven you, so then you forgive. The worship team is just gonna kind of lead all of this. So when you're ready, when you wanna do that, you can do that on your just when, you're, when you want to do it on your own. I felt as I was praying for you here this morning that, that God was setting up an appointment for you. That there have been hurts and pains that you have carried because of what others have done to you. You didn't know it, but God was setting you up today so that he could free you from what others have inflicted upon you. Our response is that, all right, God, I let go. You're a judge. I'm not. It's not minimizing what they did, but it's realizing I'm not judge. And if I keep this inside of me, it's just going to kill me. And so I release. I let go. I'm not going to hold this against them anymore. I release these people, God, into your hands. That's where God was leading us here today. And Jesus said, this is such an important thing. You can't hear this enough. And what religion does is make you think that, okay, yeah, I need to forgive. Okay, you know you need to forgive. But forgiveness is not a religious word. This is an interaction thing where I actually release it and I give it to God. And as long as there's pain and hurt inside, there's still layers that you need to keep releasing and letting go. And God will enter and bring healing there. And I felt like some of you, your bodies are hurting because of this. And God wants to heal you. 
Some of you have been stuck in depression and your, your brain has just been locked in things because this thing that's been festering, and your emotions have been all over, all over the place. And it's because something has been said or done to you that's been festering inside of you and it's affecting you physically, mentally, emotionally, and even your interaction with God spiritually. And God wants to set you free. It's one of the layers. When you experience a bad day, this is one of the biggies. Forgive. Just decide, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to release and let it go. And here's the thing. It's not based upon your emotions. It's based upon your will. I choose. I choose. I choose. See, I know I know what it feels like for your heart to get locked because of what somebody has done or said to you. But I also know what it feels like to get your heart free. And that's where God wants you. That God wants you free. And all you need to do is just choose. I choose. It's a decision of my will. I release I let go. I'm not going to hold it anymore so that then God can enter in and now create healing from the wound that was inflicted on you. Our prayer teams are going to stick around here. They're going to be in the front and the back. And because, just because of the nature of this service, I'm going to ask you if you would just do your talking out in the Welcome Center and allow people just to have this continued time of just letting the more of the ministry of, of God just to work in their hearts. So they're just going to be here at the corners and along the sides and on the back. They have these badges, these green badges that you could find them as people are moving. But let somebody else come alongside of you. When you feel like you don't have the strength, let somebody else come alongside of you to pray with you, to stand with you. Does that make sense, everybody? Let me just speak this blessing over you as I dismiss you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and now give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.